What's going on? Just goes to show listeners. It's your co-host, Ridge, and we're back. Back yet again. It's been a minute, but uh, we got just over here on the other mic as always. And really excited to get into some Prem action. We might not have been recording, but we have been watching, discussing, analyzing. So uh, a lot of good stuff to dive into today, Jack. Yeah, digesting the Premier League digesting content. Digesting, I like that word. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Right. That's exactly what we've been doing. So we have been watching. The all-seeing eye of Premier League football is what we are. Um, and so I thought it, with what we'll cover today, we'll start quickly. Like Chris, Chris and I will catch you up to speed on what the hell we've been up to, where we've been, because we know you all care so much. Then uh, we'll follow up with a little buy or sell activity. Um, we'll take a look at what's been going on in the Premier League market, a little buy, buy or sell activity. Um, and then a relegation rundown because the bottom of the table is hot, hot, hot right now. And then we'll walk through some Premier League predictor picks. Again, you can win real cash. You know this. It's S9YQB6. Get in the predictor league. Um, I haven't done my picks in the past couple weeks, so you may be beating me. Probably. Chris, I've been I, I've been better about it, but uh, you know Nick Harmon will be giving us a hard time if you ever miss him. Uh, I haven't checked the standings. I imagine he's at the top. Can, can maybe give an update on that at the end as well. Yeah, there you go. So we uh, I have been checking the uh, the predictor league, but in terms of Premier League consumption these past couple weeks, um, I've been doing a little bit of travel. I've been here, uh, I've been in Chicago and back there now. Between here, uh, Miami, Orlando, I've uh, been finding a way to get out on some golf courses lately. So consuming some Premier League content by phone um, on tee boxes. That's always interesting. You got to always feel that out with your golf group. Like, do they want the audio playing, you know, of, of a potential goal happening while they're, you know, over the ball? So that's been interesting for me. Um, and But I've been trying to, to obviously stay tuned and, and watch as much as possible. And then during the week, usually I just kind of watch every replay and catch up with all the extended highlights on the NBC app. Um, also, a couple weeks ago, I just want to get ahead of this in case it comes up later. Um, I was, I, I kind of made this move where I was feeling really good. I was in a place, this is about two and a half weeks ago, Chris. I was oh, in a I place where, I, I was in a place where I f- was feeling really good about just overall my Premier League knowledge. Um, you know, we got good feedback on our last pod. Um, I, I was actually at the time ranked 2000 in the world out of like, what, like 8 million players who play FPL or something. Um, and I like listen to all these FPL podcasts and these fancy Premier League pod- podcasts and, and, and shit. And I was like, damn, I'm doing better than all of them. Like, you know, like I'm more credible than everybody. So I go into my Twitter bio with like my 280 followers. Um, and I'm like, hey, you know, I put in my Twitter bio, like FPL rank, like 2000 in the world. I throw that in there, and then I had this idea. I actually played Chris in fantasy that week um, and played my wild card, which allows you to kind of completely select a new new uh, lineup um, depending on who you want. Um, it's kind of like a reset button. And so I did that. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm a genius. I select all these players. Since then, um, I plummeted around 18,000 places in the rankings. I've lost both my head-to-head game weeks with the Ridgeway Fantasy Premier League, which we've talked about on the pod before, um, and overall just feel like an absolute imbecile um so the Premier league has been exciting in terms of game action but i've you know my overall like yeah just a little i just want to get that out there it's bad um the second you think you think you have things figured out you know you don't so um if you play fpl you might know this you might kind of be able to relate but that's where i'm at with the Premier league that's how, that's what i've been up to i've got a couple of notes on that um first one I know who you golf with, and I'm sure they do not appreciate it when you are playing audio while they're on the tee. Unless maybe Gage might like it if the bees are scoring. Maybe Ivan Tony's got a penalty or something. Right. Um, but no, it's they, only it's the only way he does scores. Yeah, they're avid golfers. Uh, no, they definitely don't appreciate that. 
Um, and then the next thing I was going to say <clears throat> is uh, I actually, when I discovered that you had updated your Twitter bio to include your FPL rank, which I will say it was a very impressive rank, top 2,000. I don't know if like people that might not play fantasy, they might not realize it. that's pretty good. Like you might want to start your own Twitter account and then tips if you're top 2,000. Um, <laughs> when, we, when I realized it, we were at the Detroit City Clubhouse. I was with two of our uh, guest hosts, who uh, most of you guys have probably heard from, Nick Harmon and Andrew Lockman, and then your parents, Jack. And uh, we were watching Palace and Villa and Oldham, and Nick brought it to our attention that you had added the rank. And boy, that was uh, that was a fun time. We were laughing a lot. We had had a couple, a couple pints at that point. Um, it's kind of a nerdy thing to do, I would say, but the best part about it is that you've really tanked the, since the second you did that. Um, it makes me feel a lot better. And I can't really talk. I don't even think I'm top million right now in Fantasy Prem, but uh, still, still very fun. But yeah, no, we've been, um, I've been watching mostly at home, at least the early games, still in the, getting the new house set up and everything. I've had people over once or twice to watch games. And then, like I mentioned, we were at the pub uh, watching Villa and Palace both lost that day. Neither of them scored. So that was really rough. Garrett Colmatz was there as well. Shout out Garrett. Um, but yeah, we've been trying to get out a little bit more. Weather's getting a little bit better, which will bring golf and other things into the equation. But it's part of the reason why I love the Prem too, it, you know, it stops in uh, May. And so we get the summer months to kind of regroup, just follow Fabrizio Romano on the transfer front mm-hmm. and uh, see what's happening there. But we still got a really good home stretch coming up. Um, so I'm excited. And I will say that the tough thing for me, you know, a lot of America right now is working remote. I've been going into the office, so I don't have as much of an ability to watch the midweek games. I normally will try to listen to them at my desk, but uh, especially with all the postponements and reschedules and things like that, there's so many midweek games that does make it tough. So I really have to savor the weekend games and uh, you know watch the highlights on the NBC app or Peacock or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a good point actually. Like going into the fact that you go you go to the office, like I kind of love weekday games because i usually just turn it on on my tv and like have it on in the background um but yeah that's that that you know everyone's yeah, watching capabilities are very different it's tough the people you know i'm one of those people that goes into work and actually has to do my job other than the you know the 90 percent of people who are remote that just uh get to watch tv and do their laundry and whatnot which i did for a while right. so i get it it's nice i'm i'm jealous it's, it's not a it's not a shot at anybody but it's okay we got the prem to look forward to on saturdays and sundays and um that's pretty much where my life's been at and, you know, getting ready for golf season. Yeah, and I think I put it in the Twitter bio because I was like, you know, this is a great angle for the pod. Like, what if I start, you know, like tweeting out – Right, I was like, I start tweeting out credible advice for fantasy owners. They start following me. We, like, you know, we start folks we, – we have we obviously have the fantasy corner segment of this podcast where we tend to expand and give fantasy picks. So I will be kind of retreating out of the fantasy corner this week since my advice is clearly not credible or helpful based off of – just kind of recency bias. Um, so yeah, just, uh, I, I mean, that was my angle. I was trying to grow the pod. So Chris, you know, your loss is my loss. My loss is your loss. Hey, um, grow, grow the pod. That's great. Rough timing though. Really rough timing. And really rough also timing. like you only have a few hundred followers on Twitter and I don't know what the percentage of that is, you know, Premier League fans or people that follow us for that type of content, but I doubt many people noticed. Right. It was, yeah, it, same it, here. By the time they noticed, you had had to update to outside the top 10,000. And at that point, you, I'm sure you just deleted it right now. Yeah. Twitter is a crazy place, I will say. But um, on that same, on that same, speaking of crazy, speaking of margins, speaking of, you know, recency, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our buyer, move into our buyer sell segment. So Chris, 
for this exercise, we'll be talking about a team that you know you want to buy right now that you think is on the rise, um, or you know worth pointing out that they're they're doing they're moving in the right direction, um, and then also a player um, doesn't have to be attached to that same team. So, Chris, what team are you buying into right now? Where who are you buying the hype from? Yeah, so it's not really probably too big of a surprise for anyone who's been following, um, but my team that I'm going to buy is Newcastle. Um, they're a team that I did not have a lot of optimism for early this season. Um, obviously, the ownership change made a big difference. They had a lot of money to invest. I, I really think that appointing Eddie Howe was a very smart decision um, because he's got the Premier League experience, and he seems like a guy that's a long-term um, solution to their problems, right? A guy that they could keep if they went down that really is going to try to help build them. Um, back up like you know he had a, a very very long stint at Bournemouth where he was really successful but um, if you just look at their form as of late um, it's, it's really really impressive their last loss actually in the Premier League was December 19th against Man City wow. um, since then they have drawn against United Watford and West Ham and won every other match um, and their fixtures have not been the most difficult I will admit as of late but they're really taking advantage of the matches where they have an opportunity to win, which is what you need to do when you're in relegation battle, right? You're not looking to take points off of Man City and Liverpool. You're looking to do that against the Evertons, the Brentfords, the Brightons, teams like they have beat recently. Um, and there's a lot of players that have really, really started to shine. I think the biggest thing has been their midfield three. They've started to figure that out. It's been really, really impressive. Uh, Joe Willick has been fantastic as of late. John Joe Shelby, don't like the guy, but uh, he's got it together for them. And then the big surprise is Joel Linton, uh, who's apparently now just a box-to-box midfielder. Uh, but he's been great, too. You watch him play, and they're very impressive in the midfield. Uh, you add Ryan Frazier, finally getting back into form, you know, mm. formerly managed by Eddie Howe. So he's probably got a lot of comfortability there. Eddie Howe knows how to play him and get the most out of him. Um, and then the biggest thing has been they've been really, really um, improved defensively. And that's even more impressive considering that Kieran Trippier has been out, um, who was their biggest signing uh, in January. And he was playing great when he was there. He's been out. Mark Matt Target on loan from Villa has been very solid. Dan Byrne from Brighton as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that they went from a spot where it seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to come down to one of the last couple matches of the season, uh, whether or not they're going to stay up. And I think they've gotten to the point now where they're, they're firmly up. I, I I'd be surprised if there's anyone out there that thinks that they could somehow get dragged back down into this race. They're in 14th now, um, currently seven points clear. So uh, hats off to Eddie Howe. Uh, I think that they're in a really good spot, and I would buy them. I think they're going to finish the season strong. Yeah, and I think there's a, a bunch of players you highlighted in there that where, where they were fortunate enough, given the change in ownership, where they can do a lot of business in January. and. Some of the signings you, you touched on are obviously, obviously coming and hit the ground running straight away. So credit to Eddie Hoffer getting that done. I mean, really the only one who hasn't hit the ground running is striker Chris Wood, who's goalless. But, um, I mean, everyone else has been strong. And you've also seen like a resurgence of some other players, right? Like Joe Willock finding his last season form, like you said. Fabian Cher um, seems like, you know, like, yeah, it's, it seems like a, like a you know, a, a very, very strong central defender um, where, you know, he was previously in that Newcastle team, kind of in and out of the Newcastle team, um, you know, not chosen because of Kieran Clark, et cetera. So, and then um, you think about it, you know, assuming they do stay up, you have to imagine they're going to be able to pump money in this summer 
So as far as like a long-term buy goes, I really don't think that they're too much of a, a threat to be relegated at this point. So you got to start thinking, okay, don't get ahead of yourselves too much if you're a Newcastle supporter, but like, all right, you got to be really amped up for this summer. They've started to build some, um, some strong foundations for the club and you think that they're going to have a lot of activity coming in June, uh, July, August. So. Yeah, I mean, with the money they have to spend, right? I, like, uh, they're rumored to be linked with uh, Antonio Rudiger, who was out I, of contract in the that. summer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're a Newcastle fan, you've got to be absolutely buzzing because you've your team's turned it around over the last month and a half, um, and or you know, almost two months, and so you're definitely gonna stay up. And then next season, you put the pedal down and see. Try and do what a lot of different teams are trying to do, which is how do you break into the top four, right? Or top um, six to start, realistically. Yeah. Get into Europe and then figure it out from there. But yeah, I mean, you would think that that's where their, their expectations are going to lie. Uh, maybe not next season, but two, three years down the road, they're definitely going to be expecting to be in Europe. Right. And I think that that kind of segues nicely into my buy option. So for me, I'd, I'd say buy Arsenal right now. Um, and that's not easy for me to say. I'm not, you know, a, a huge gooner. Um, and there are a lot of Arsenal fans in the States. But, um, I mean, in their last 10 Premier League games, uh, Arsenal have one draw, one loss, and eight wins, which is just absolutely bonkers. Um, and their loss, their only loss being to Manchester City. Um, so, and, and granted, their fixtures haven't been that tough. But they're beating everyone who they should beat as a top four side. And they're currently sitting in fourth place. They also have a game in hand over some of the teams below them. And I do think they're going to finish in fourth. I think they're the closest team right now outside of Chelsea, um, Manchester City, and uh, Liverpool. Um, and so I do think they're going to end up finishing the season in fourth, which I think given the resources and given the business that they've done and also the average age of that team – um, they have Emil Smith Rowe, Gabriel Martinelli, Bakayo Saka. That's their, you know, kind of triple threat. Martin uh, Odegaard. Od- Od- Odegaard, like uh, four extremely strong attacking, you know, wide players, central players. Um, ben White in defense, Gabriel, um, Kieran Tierney. Like they're they're a good good side, Ramsdale. and they're gonna Ramsdale. Yeah, so they're they're gonna be they're gonna be good for. They look like they're building this sort of. You know, I don't want to make the analogy that's made all the time, which is the Manchester United class of 92 one of like kind of like building out your youth and then rolling that out, to, you know, carrying that you, carrying you through a decade of success. But Arsenal kind of have the makings of that. If they're able to hold on to a lot of these young players, like they're going to be good for your point, Chris, of like, you know, long-term value. They're not just going to be good for this season and finishing fourth. Like you've got to think over next season, the following season, the following season, once they start to like consistently finish in the top four, then they're able to pump some more money, get some really big name signings, you know, get the likes of kind of Cedric out of the side and, um, you know, get the likes of Jacques out of the side and bring in, bring in some world-class players. Um, then, I mean, you got to think that, like, you know, already you think Saka is probably the caliber of, uh, you know, Saka could go to a Manchester City Liverpool and, and get get game time regularly, right? Um, I don't know if Martinelli, Odegaard, um, and Smith Rowe are there yet, but like they're, they they are still very young. So um, I've been very impressed with Arsenal. Um, you know, I there, and there's a couple other teams I've been impressed with too. Like, I, you know, at Villa and Palace both won this past weekend. I have to give them some love. Um, I am starting to feel like Steven Gerrard's really getting his his imprint in the team. So. They were sort of my background, like not quite as haven't shown as much promise as Arsenal has, but like um, buying a little bit lower, uh, hopefully. Jack, let me ask you this, um, and it'll lead into my player buy here as well. But 
Who do you think uh, is the leading goal scorer for Arsenal this season? Um, Don't look it up. No, I'm not. Gut feeling. Uh, let me think. Hold on. This is a, a little mid-segment trivia section here. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's Saka. It's not. He's um, second. Yeah, I don't think it's Odegaard. I don't think it's Martinelli either. Um, I think it's Smith Rowe. It's Smith Rowe. Nine yeah. goals. Wow. Yeah. Um, which he hasn't really started that much. He's kind of lost his starting place a little bit because Saka has been so good. Martinelli had that really good run of form and Odegaard has been playing very well also. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been playing Lacazette who's done a really good job facilitating and getting a lot of assists. But I actually think Smith Rowe is probably the unsung hero of that team. And when I, when I think about the future of that team, I think he's an extremely important piece of it. Um, but my buy a player for this segment was actually Bukayo Saka. Um, he's kind of just hit another level as of late. He's He's been pretty good all year, but if you look at his last eight matches, so he's got eight goals this season. Six of them have come in his last eight matches. Um, wow. He's really, really found his form when it comes to scoring. Um, and you just watch this guy. I mean, he's 20 years old. He's just got this – he's got something about him, like – it's kind of hard to explain. It's probably not really like the best way to podcast, but there's certain players that you just watch, and when they're really in form, you're like, man, this guy can just do stuff that other people can't. He thinks differently on the pitch. He's one step ahead, and I, I feel that way about soccer sometimes when I watch him. Um, I don't know. It's, it had to have been pretty tough on him to start the season after what happened in the Euros, and... I think um, he's probably he seems like a quiet guy. I don't know if he necessarily is. He's young, um, but as he starts to build confidence in this league, he, he's got all the ability. He's just got those attributes you want in a winger, where he's he's pretty slither. He can he can kind of cut really well. He's agile, and then he he can find the net, but he's, he can cross. He can, I don't know. He just kind of has it all, in my opinion. As long as he can stay healthy. Um, I, I worry a little bit about that. He's had some knocks over the years, and his, he doesn't really have much of a strong frame at this point. I assume he'll develop it over time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably could have picked three or four different Arsenal players that I'd want to buy right now. Um, I think they're in a spot where I, I agree. I do think that they will finish top four. They're in fourth right now, and they have several games in hand on a lot of these teams. Um, they have had a pretty easy run of fixtures as of late, but... I don't really see any reason why I would expect them to um, just start to slip, uh, at least enough to bring someone else into this, unless um, one of these other teams below them gets really, really hot right now. Uh, but they're, they're in a great position. I got to eat my hat uh, for Mikel Arteta. He's done a really good job, and um, I still think they have some areas to improve. I think the midfield could improve a bit. Um, I think they could probably add some depth defensively, but um, maybe get a striker because I don't think Lacazette's going to be there long term. Uh, but other than that, yeah, they're they're in a great spot, and soccer's a big reason why. Yeah, plus one to all that. I think the 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 interesting thing is what you said at the end there. Like maybe, you know, maybe Arsenal ditch Lacazette uh, or keep him as kind of like a captain because he has been wearing the armband lately. And then you know they bring in another striker. But the challenge is, is like they're going to need a striker that is going to need to have a very team oriented style of play, right? They have so much goal scoring threat from attacking midfield with Saka, with Odegaard, with Smith Rowe, with Martinelli. So they, they're gonna need someone to play number nine who is, you know, I think about Harry Kane, right? Like yeah. wow, you put Harry Kane in that team. 
Um, but th that's sort of the player that I'm envisioning. You're just going to need someone who's going to be able to pass as well maybe, as score. Maybe like a Raul Jimenez as well. Someone that can, can play wow. with their back to the net a little bit and who can pass. Because you got guys like Martinelli and Sokka who are going to make these overlapping runs. And Kane can do that, right? Kane is probably almost better as like a a number 10, like a De Bruyne type player at this point in his career than he is a pure out-and-out -out striker because I don't think he really has the pace he used to. He's not making those runs in behind defenders as much. He's he's kind of holding it up and making really good passes. He's still scoring, but um, I think like a guy like him or Jimenez or someone like that would really, really fit well into that team who can hold the play up, who can make smart passes, things like that. Yeah, I love that Jimenez call. If he's going to be 31 this, this summer. It's but probably I, not him it, because he's too old, right. but a player like that I think would really work. Yeah, agreed. Um, so my, my my player who I'd like to buy um, is similarly like has obviously had some good performances of late is Matt Doherty. My boy. <laughs> at, at right wing back, I think previously proclaimed the signing of the season on the FPL Yeah, 2020 signing of the season on my preview pod. That did not go yeah. well. Um, I was just it – was, it was a right take. It just took a really long time to develop. Right, exactly. Yes, Kurt, the take is the take is now developed. Um, yeah, never, Matt never go out, never back down on your takes. You just gotta wait long enough until they hit. I think sometimes. Right, you just run out of time sometimes. Yeah. Um, so Matt Doherty has a goal and three assists in his last two league starts, which is absolutely bonkers um, at the right wing back position. And what's really interesting for 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 me watching him play is it's difficult to put a finger on exactly what he does really well not a freak athlete right like so at right wing back you'd say emerson royale is probably a little bit faster um not insanely good defensively like he's he's you know he's caught out of position sometimes he, he gets you know on the wrong side of his man a few different times he's also not like an elite striker or passer of the ball but what he does really well is he has this uncanny natural ability the right wing back role to pop up in different pockets where the ball is going to drop to whether drift in field or stay wide and it's he seems to always be one place away from uh or like find himself in the box as a right wing back um around the ball for an assist or a goal and i think his positional sense from that right wing back role especially in an attacking capacity might be better than anyone who i've ever seen play that right wing back role because i think his positional sense is so strong and and just helps him so much because i don't think he has that much ability he's again not young not a great striker of the ball, not a great passer. Like, you know, I don't mean to point out all his flaws, but like he just positionally in that right wing back role knows how to help, help an attack. Right. He, and so I was going to say, he might be the ultimate case of a player who, if he plays in the right role, he's going to absolutely produce for you. And you're going to get a lot of consistent performances out of him. And if you're not set up to like give him that role that he needs, might as well not be on your team. Yeah, that's, a, that's so true. Like he he's basically a system player, right? Like you think about like I knew system players when I played hockey, like people who would only fit if you played a certain system, and he is like the ultimate system player at a pro level. Um and and so he's been phenomenal these past two games and I, I can imagine, you know, given his recent performances, he will make that right wing back spot his own um for Spurs and 
he is a right wing back. He's not a right back. He's not a right winger. He kind of only does well at the right wing back spot. Um, and Antonio Conte obviously loves his wing backs. And so he's taking that spot from Emerson Royale. And I really don't see him relinquishing that in the near future. I will give a quick honorary mention to Dejan Kulisevsky, who's come in and done very well at Spurs as well. Um, since since moving on loan in January, we'll see if he, they make that signing permanent. But uh, I think value for money and, um, you know, buying him – if, if I were to like if I were to make Antonio Conte a manager at any team in in the Premier League and say, hey, you can pick their wing backs, left wing back and right wing back, I honestly think Matt Doherty would be in the conversation for taking out of all potential right wing back candidates in the league who I would put there. Like even in the same breath as like Trent um Reese James. Reese James would maybe be the one player who I'd take ahead of Doherty. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably take Trent ahead of anybody, honestly. But I, I know what you're saying, and I don't think it's that crazy to say. And Kulisevsky, I mean, we could talk about him for a second. I mean, 21 years old, on loan. He's just come right into this team and, and fit right in. Um, they've kind of been missing that third piece of the, the Kane, Son, um, and then who else is stepping up? Trio. You know, you had Lucas right. Mora play for a good amount this season. He was... Right. Okay, at times, a little bit inconsistent. You have Bergwijn, who they love to bring in off the bench, but doesn't really get a lot of starts. So they're kind of missing that third guy. And Kulisevsky, I mean, the second he came into the lineup, he started to produce, and it looks like he just fits in really well with them. It'll be interesting to see if they do sign him. The, depending on situations in his loan contract, there is a potential obligation to buy for, I believe, it was like $30 million, um, $35 million maybe. I don't know what those criteria are, but I would say that you, you have to be tempted to bring him on if you are Spurs, especially at 21 years old. Um, when a guy comes in on loan like this, it's almost almost seems like a no-brainer. Um, but I did have to, to bring up one thing. I'm not surprised you picked um, a Spurs player as your buy guy because Antonio Conte, after a, a big 3-2 win over Man City on February 19th, had this quote to say, honestly, this is one of the best group of players I've worked with in my career. We have a lot of space for improvement. We have mainly young players to improve and make experience. But he said this was probably the best group of players he's ever worked with in his career. And then four days later, they lose to Burnley 1-0. And here's his quote. The players here are always the same. I'm trying to do everything to change the situation, but the situation is not changing. Future? I'm open for every decision because I want to help Todd. This guy's a psycho. I mean, he's had, he's had more quotes since then because after those two results, they won 4-0 against Leeds and 5-0 against Everton. Two teams that are going to be in the relegation battle, but still, holy beatdowns. And I just got to ask, Jack, I mean, you've, you've managed people in your job at work for a long time. Um, I understand there's an element of protecting your players. Um... I just don't understand, man. What is he doing? Like, the best group of players he's ever worked with, and four days later, he's like, I don't know if I can work here. The players are always the same. They're not good enough. Four days. Yeah. It, was, it blew my mind. I, I read it, like, a billion times when he said it because I was just like, this can't be real. There's There's such an element in sports psychology, which I think sets – which is so just fundamentally different which sets sports apart from business and, and, you know, anything else really, you know, parenting or friendships or anything like sports in, in sports, it's always so relentlessly results driven. It is, you know, it's, you know, 
one of the, if not the most results driven business in the world, right? Outside of like maybe like, I don't know, like extreme value, like day trading or something, you know? Um, so it almost feels like I can see what Antonio is doing after that, after that win. He is trying to genuinely be, he's trying to be really authentic with his praise. He's trying to make these people who report, who are on his team feel so, so valued and so different from people who, who he's worked with previously, right? Like set them apart, create a very unique kind of ethos in the group and like um, just make them, you know, like like that. that's like the catalyst. That, a, a, a speech like that and a team talk like that can be a catalyst that like those players will, will remember forever and they'll spur, spur spurs on, uh, for lack of a better word, to for, you know, an amazing kind of like year, year or two years or three years. But then... What's crazy about it is what you said is like literally four days later, he turns around in this, in, you know, in almost like, you know, two breaths later says the players were always the same. Like, this is trash. This is brutal. And to me, like that is indicative of just somebody who is, they're not kind of riding the highs and lows, I think is, is an expression that a lot of people use or like, you know, they're not staying steady. They, he is fully engaged emotionally and mentally with every game and every result probably so much so that it's detrimental, right? Like your judgment is clouded, right? After, after a result that, when you're that deep emotionally and mentally in, in, into a result. So I hope, like if you have a manager like that, who's that invested in like acting like every game is a cup final is the expression that people use. Like if you have a manager who's like that, you really need a very consistent and steady group of hands around a manager like that. I'm talking about like, you know, uh, a general manager, um, director of football operations, et cetera, to not get reactive and sucked into how reactive Conte seems to be, because it seems to be like he is the definition of what have you done for me in the last like three hours. Right. Um, and that's a dangerous place to, to go if he, if he continues to show that. And I, I imagine what, you know, sports psychologists are probably telling him and what his, um, you know, his, his confidants and, you know, whoever he talks to, um, is probably saying like, Hey, you're going to be in this, if you're in this for the long haul, you've got to be a little bit more consistent, but maybe he won't be right. Maybe he's not in this for the long haul. <laughs> I mean, and, that's what and, I said and, when they hired him. I was like, I just don't think and, this is and, and, and I think, and exactly. And I think that's the point with Conte and that that's why he doesn't stay places very long is because you see these sort of crazy roller coaster reactions where you can't sustainably run a football club or drive results over an extended period of time when the dips and the you know the the peaks and valleys in the roller coaster are that deep, right? Like, it's like Mourinho. No one has a bit. no no one has the bandwidth for it. It reminds me a little bit of Mourinho. I think Mourinho might be a little bit more level headed, but Mourinho, uh, you know, is very similar. Where he is very intentional with what he says in his press conferences, and they both come off as a little bit whiny to me at times when things aren't going their way. They kind of like to pout a little bit. Um, which is fine in, in spurts, but when you get into a run of really bad form, that's when you get to the point with a guy like Jose Mourinho where you're like, man, no one can be in this dressing room with this guy. Like, he's he's throwing the players under the bus. Things aren't going well. Morale's really low. And I, I feel like with Conte, it's the same thing a little bit where it's really high highs and really low lows. And that's not really sustainable over time. You need to have a little bit more of a level head um, in order to be like a long-term fixture at a club. But all credit to them right now. They're playing really well. Um, the team seems to be meshing well. Harry Kane had really good things to say about Conte um, after their last win. So we'll see. I think he'll be there next yeah. year. I don't know if he'll be there the year after that, but 
we'll see. I think there, yeah, there's a big element of what we don't see behind closed doors there. And I think like what Conte clearly is doing, you can tell through Kane's comments is like individually one-on-one, his level of commitment is showing through to the players where they feel like he's demonstrating as much, um, as much commitment to his craft as they are to theirs. And I think that's very sort of like an in the trenches, uh, you know, uh, relatable people leading yeah. skill. And I, I think that's probably what he's doing really well. Um, but like the card that he played after that Burnley game, like I think if he plays that another time as a manager at Spurs, it'll be the end of him. Right. It could, so it, could like, be rough. It, was, it was a little dramatic. And uh, I mean, right. a loss at Turf Moor can do a lot to a man. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that he needs to get his um, emotions in check a little bit better. But let's move it on. It is fascinating. Yeah. Let's move on to ourselves. Um, so I'll, I'll start with my team. And for longtime listeners of the pod, they're going to be really surprised to hear this because I, I think I've been accused of being a homer for this team, among other clubs. But uh, I'm going to sell Leicester. Now, Leicester, they're coming off of two wins. Um, they just beat Burnley 2-0 and they beat Leeds 1-0. I watched the Leeds match on Saturday. And this is Leeds with their new manager, Jesse Marsh. They've been awful as of late. They've been leaking goals left and right. Um, and that was under Bielsa, totally different style, right? But um, Leeds outplayed Leicester on Saturday. No doubt about it in my mind. Casper Schmeichel had a huge game and a bunch of big saves. Uh, Leeds deserved at least a point, if not three, in that match. Um, and Leicester are in 12th right now. I don't know if people really realize that. Like, this is a team that's been consistently good for, um, I don't know, five years since they won the title. They've been re- they've been really good, right? They're, they're guaranteed top-half team, pushing for Europe every year. Um, they do have some games in hand, so you know they have some time to make up some ground here. But being in 12th this late in the season is not really promising. And then I started to look at their squad, right? And it makes me a little bit nervous, I guess, if I were a Leicester supporter. Jamie Vardy's 35, right? Um, you have Ian Nacho, who I think, I think you'd probably agree, definitely a capable player, mm-hmm. um, albeit maybe not. I don't know if he's shown consistency, but maybe he just doesn't have the opportunity to do that with a guy like Vardy in front of him. And then Pat Sandaka, who hasn't shown much. Yeah, he's still young, recent signing. Um, I look at their their defenders, though, in their midfield, and Johnny Evans, um, you know, 34 years old. He's been banged up. Wesley Fafana should be a star, getting hurt every time he comes back into the side. He's 21 years old. I hope he has a good career. Um Siyanku, okay. They just signed Yannick Bestergaard, who's 29. Daniel Marty, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they have guys there. I'm just not sure what the plan is long term. Um, James Justin, another really young player who just keeps getting hurt. Um, hopefully he can stay healthy and, and figure it out for them. And then you, you're constantly seeing guys like Yuri Tielemans being linked with the move away. Wilfred Didi being linked with the move away. And if either of those guys leaves, it could just open the door for a Harvey Barnes, for a James Madison, some of these other guys to leave as well. Um, it seems a little bit tenuous right now at Leicester. Uh, I'm not sure if this is where Brendan Rodgers is going to be forever. We'll see. I don't know if they, they'll want him there forever. Um, but if I were a Leicester fan, I'd probably be thinking, okay, don't know where this team is quite headed. We have a lot of, a lot of young players that seem like high-value guys that, picking up injuries that might not be giving us consistent performances. They're definitely a team that I don't think they know their best 11 right now. Um, and, it, and it's constantly changing. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, Jack, but I would say that 
in terms of where they were coming into this season, uh, I think they've definitely underperformed. And I don't really, I don't get a feeling that they're going in the right direction. Yeah, they're in such an interesting place in terms of their stature within the game, the English game right now. So they they obviously have missed out barely on Europe the past two seasons. And I almost feel like them missing out on Europe just on the last day of the season um, or, you know, kind of getting down to the wire could be their downfall um, because they had this golden era. And, and with Kasper Schmeichel, I see they won the league, Jamie Vardy, you know, James Madison's in the side. Um, they obviously they had you know a bunch of other players who were in the team at the time, and Golo Conte, Riyad Mahrez, etc. They've kind of offloaded those those assets and brought in again good young, some good young English players, good young players, uh, you know, around the team. But this this team is screaming out to just no longer be the Jamie Vardy dependent Leicester. Right, like they just are. Like they won. They, I think they won this past uh, this past week um, uh, two nil. Um, they beat Burnley uh, yeah, two nil the, and, then, and then beat yeah, nil. yeah. They beat Burnley two nil and what was a very cagey affair. And they scored, I think, like eighty first and 89th minute. And it was 80, Jamie ninetieth, Madison Vardy. Yeah, you were basically yes, ex- exactly right. So, like, I, I just think this team is they're just in a weird place in terms of like the pedestal that they're at with the league. They're not. Um, you know, obviously, they're not recognized globally, or or in terms of their academy and their infrastructure, like a Spurs, like a Arsenal, um, and you know, like a like a top six to seven eight team, right? And they also don't have the investment that is linear with those teams. But then at the same time, like they kind of spent, they've had all this money that they've spent, you know, on players like the Harvey Barneses of the world, the Pats and Dacas, Wilfred and Didi's, Yuri Tillman's, and then, you know, sprinkling a couple other players. And it just feels like it's just not good enough. It, it really doesn't. And and they've had, obviously had good performances, but like you're starting to see now Jamie Vardy is missing extended periods of time because of his age and his injuries, right? And And they're slipping down the table as a result. And then who's stepping up to fill that gap? Okay, yeah, I mean, I understand they had a bunch of injuries this year, especially in defense, but like they, they don't, it's not next man up at Leicester, right? It kind of seems like the identity of that team is just like an identity of two, three years ago. Um, and I don't see, you know, I don't see someone coming in and, and really kind of grabbing the attack of that team by the horns. You know, I had high hopes for Pats and Daka, but, he, you know, he hasn't, he, he, same with the Inacho. Uh, I think Inacho could still themselves. do it. Daka is just not showing much. Um, but it's it's weird, right? Because I look at their squad and I'm like, they have a lot of good players. A lot of these guys uh, probably have attracted some attention of the big clubs. I'm sure a healthy Wesley Fafana would. Um, you know, James Madison, I'm sure, has attracted some attention. Harvey Barnes, definitely. And Didi and Tielemans, absolutely. So, like, there are good, good players on the squad. They're in 12th. Right. Yeah, and like, it's, it just hasn't quite like come spot. together for them. And I, I, it kind of feels like they've missed their window. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think they've missed their window. I think what'll, what you'll see happen is in, 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 in Leicester is a classic example of showing, cause they don't even have the infrastructure that a Spurs or again, an Arsenal do, um, and Manchester United do, but they're trying to break it. They're trying to compete for the same spots that Manchester United, Arsenal and Spurs are right. That's what like Spurs or that's what Leicester think of themselves these days. And it, it just goes to show how just goes to show how hard is it to move into that place, 
right? And move into that place in the table and get into that upper echelon. It's really fucking hard. And, and Lester, I think, need either to up their level of spend, right? Or they need to retreat a little bit and be comfortable being a 15th to 10th place team and kind of reload like a Crystal Palace is doing and Aston Villa is doing, et cetera. Yeah, I like uh, that. All right, what's your sell? My, 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 sell, my sell team is Brighton. Which I, you know, amongst kind of like soccer fans or people who pay close attention to the game is probably not uh, everyone's favorite take. But I think what's interesting about Brighton is, uh, so Brighton are in 13th. They have 33 points. So they're actually one spot behind Leicester. They're behind Leicester in goal differential on the table. Um, Their form lately hasn't been great. And they have one more win than 17th place Everton on 22 points. Right? They only have seven wins this season. They have 12 draws and eight losses. Now, this is a, you know you can be an optimist or a pessimist, but to me, Brighton are a team where it just seems like they get lost in the non-dominant phases of the game. They get lost in transitions. They get lost on set pieces. They get lost uh, after mistakes. And they play, and I understand Graham Potter wants to play possession-based football, and, and you know people, he gets a lot of credit, and people say he could be the future Ingle manager, and he's got a neck beard this season, all this shit. He, I, I don't. I think what, what he is good at, he's good at coaching a technical team in possession. Give him eleven Veltmans or eleven Pascal Grosses, they'll pass you to death, right? But they don't have the the game, the parts of of their game as a team outside of that, right? They are good at making little triangles when they have the ball in possession, but the second they're they they aren't sharp with possession, they get blown out. The second that you get a few set pieces on them, they can see. They've also sold Dan Byrne, their tallest defender, um, uh, in January. Um, and I, I just think, and that you know, selling uh, Brighton, selling you know their players to to um, to Newcastle really solidifies the fact that they you know won't be a top half of the table team. So I think for me, Brighton, I th- you, you're either going to see Graham Potter, Graham Potter move on to get a better crop of players in the future, because I think this era sort of similar to Leicester, this era of like, hey, they kind of buy players on the cheap and play really an attacking brand of football. I think that's going to kind of pass them by. Like once Graham Potter leaves, it's going to pass them by and they're going to look at their team and be like, oh, fuck, we're starting Steven Alzate in central midfield. We could go down this season because they're just not that good on paper. I, I agree with you. I think that they're a little bit of an opposite situation from Leicester um, because I look at the Brighton squad and I'm like, oof, these guys just aren't that good. <laughs> um and Lester, I'm like, I want more out of these players. This this should be a good foundation for a Fair. team. That's a good take. Yeah, that's a good take. Um, but I think that you have to give credit to Graham Potter because he's had Brighton playing really well at times, despite maybe not having the best talent. They do have a couple of really good players. Um, you know, a healthy Tariq Lamptey is pretty electric. Um, I hate Lewis Dunk, but I think he can be pretty effective. Um, but then you look at, like, Yves Basuma, probably their best player. He's linked away with a move to Villa. Right, who is not really far ahead of them in the table, um, and you're ta- you're right. You're talking about guys going to Newcastle, Dan Byrne. Um, I mean, Neil Malpay. Don't have a whole lot of confidence in him. They've been playing Danny Welbeck pretty regularly. Right. Um, they just don't really have that many players, and I don't know if Graham Potter is going to get the investment to really get the team that he needs here to, to make them successful. Now, I don't think they're a team that in the near future is in danger of being relegated, but if Graham Potter left this summer, you, you know, they're probably one of like four or five favorites to get relegated if they don't, uh, uh, you know, improve the squad from where it's at. Today. 
Yeah, I think I think again, I think they'll finish around the same place next season. Like it just doesn't seem like there's a clear progression. I understand the quality of football is improving and they are doing they you know, they are safe, but they just need to either one thing will happen, they either up the quality of their squad for Graham Potter or he move, he will move on, right? Like maybe he's the next target for a Newcastle who wants to invest heavily, right? Like I think about like Graham Potter as manager with Newcastle's budget next season, like wow, I'd be feeling really good as, you know, if, if, if I was a Newcastle fan. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, it's also nice to not say good things about Brighton. So that, that feels good. Um, yeah. Sell, players, who you got, Chase? Oh, man. I hate to pile it on the, the blockhead himself. But um, Harry Maguire, it's just I don't know what's going on over uh, at Old Trafford. And uh, oof, Harry Maguire. Yeah, you watch that city match <laughs> of the weekends. He's slow. You know, he's, he's not he's not very quick on his feet. I don't really know what he does well uh, on, a, on a team as big as theirs, right? I think that he's a player that on a a team that might be you know six through twelve. I think he could be your captain and be a really solid defender. But what's asked out of these these center backs at the very, very highest level in terms of passing, possession, quickness, I just don't know if he has it. I hate to say it because I like Harry Maguire and um, you know I root for England on an international level. Um, I support them, but it it's starting to get to the point where um, it might be best for both sides to just move on and uh, and figure something else out there. They spent so much money on him. If if he leaves, it would be a massive loss that they'd have to take. But it's it's becoming a distraction at this point. You know, we have Dimitar Berbatov coming out and saying that they need to bench him. There's a lot of former United players. You know, we see Roy Keane every week just go in on them. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Maguire is the target of a lot of that abuse. Um, I don't know if it's totally fair to him. Um, I think he's seems like a good dude. I think a lot of people probably like playing with him. He seems like a good guy. Um, and he's obviously got some ability, right? He's shown it. He played really well for England in a lot of international competition, but uh, I don't know if you have much to add on. I don't really want to go go to it hard on the guy because he's he's taking it from Berbatov. He doesn't need to get it from the just goes to show pod too, and really, uh, you know, rack on that social media criticism. But it's been tough for our boy Harry. Yeah, I think. Um, I love that you you're in you know kind of in one breath or you you want to make him your cell, but at the same time you, you're doing it in like an empathetic uh, empathetic way. Um, I yeah, I mean my opinion on Harry Maguire is he's he was very good in, in a back three um, for England in a back two system. I mean he's English and was a good center back for Leicester, and he was at Sheffield United before that. He's not uh, not a top four center back. He's just not. Like I'm sorry. I'd take Mark Gahey at Palace, Anderson at Palace. I'd take Tyrone Tyrone Mings even over. Um, Maybe Harry someone McGuire. from Wolves. Yeah, Connor Cody for sure over Harry Maguire. And uh, yeah, he's just not the caliber of leader that they have. And I mean, he's the captain. The club hasn't been where they want to be. He's the captain. He should take most of the heat. It's, and and the, the problem is, is like, you know, he went and got himself in trouble in, in Ibiza, um, you know, after the Euros. He's 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 kind of like always like tagging his mates and like little Instagram posts. It almost seems like 
he's like a small guy who made it, you know, or like a guy who played for Blades, you know, when he was 20 and he's made it to United as a captain. But I don't, I don't know if he has, he's not a complete, like, when I think about a player who's polished and professional and I think like Tiago, people always talk about Tiago um, in England, like, like he's that player, speaks like six languages, like a, a very intelligent guy. Um, and, you know, everyone's really excited when he signed for Liverpool. And there's just not that aura about Harry Kane, right? It's like that guy you kind of meet at the pub. Or, sorry, yeah, Harry Maguire, guy who you kind of meet at the pub. And, and Kane's another good example, a guy who's like there's a significantly different aura about yeah. Kane, right, in the way in the way he speaks and um, his, the way he carries himself. And just, that doesn't exist with Maguire. And then you put in the fact that, like, you can't really point to what he does well on the pitch, right? Like defends like the average center back, um, handles the ball like a little bit worse than the average center back, no real pace to him. Uh, Pretty good yeah, in the air, just, not dominant. Decent, yeah, yeah, decent, decent in the air, not Van Dyke level, right? Like, no. think about that. Like, Liverpool have Virgil Van Dyke, and United have Harry Maguire. I mean, that is just, that's just an absurd comparison. But um, for my, for for, for my cell, I'll uh, I'll bring up um, what was one of the most exciting and largest transfers from this past summer is Romelu Lukaku from Chelsea, and. The fall from grace that he's had from his huge season in Syria to his comments in the in, in winter um, about you know how he might go back to Inter um, and now you know he he just got benched at the weekend he's being benched for the number nine role for Kai Havertz he played against Crystal Palace and had recorded the fewest amount of touches in a Premier League fixture since they've been recording that stat um, seven in ninety minutes like what the sure fuck. Was. Right, and he's supposed to be this dominant, physically imposing, gifted number nine. And you know, I, I think he's not playing good football, and I also think he's not—he doesn't fit into in, into Tuchel's system. And I think it's just a really brutal storm. And I think they're going to have to do what Arsenal did with Aubameyang and just ship him off. Yeah, I hate to say it, Jack, but if we were ever going to get picked up by like a big media organization, like an ESPN or Sky Sports, or you know, you name it, right? And there was right. a group of online people who just didn't think we deserved it. All they'd have to do is go back to our preview pod and point out who we picked for the golden boot. And we'd be done just like that. Because I had Lukaku really? and you had Danny Yang's. Um, <laughs> hey, Danny Yang scored. <laughs> Danny Yang scored. Where the hell Danny are we not most all? What are we thinking? Uh, I don't know. Danny Yang scored this past weekend, though, so there's still hope. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I picked Lukaku. He's a beast. I, I figured it was going to work out. Um, it's it's not. Same. He, and, he played he played at Chelsea before. Kind of came up through their academy. He's got the physicality. He's got the pace. It's just, right. Well, he's got the attitude or the, the desire to play for Chelsea at this point. Um, and and him and Maguire are kind of in a similar spot where it's like they had all these expectations on them, and they're kind of the scapegoats in a lot of senses. Yeah um for bad performances but um you know with united they just keep putting mcguire out there and chelsea have just been like yeah sorry lukaku if you're not going to produce we got other guys we can put in here and they've played better without him so you know credits to Tuchel cool for just not not giving in and playing this guy just because he was 100 million um over right. the summer but it, you know he was that expensive so you gotta do something here um it seems like he could just go right back to enter maybe i don't know but that seems like where his heart is. So, anyway, yeah. let's let's move on because we're getting a little long here. Um, do we still want to talk real quick on the relegation fight? Yeah, let's ta- let's tap our bottom three real quick and any any quick notes you have for who you think will get relegated. 
All right. You can lead us. Before Saturday, this would have been different. Um, actually, probably before Monday. Norwich down. No question in my mind. Watford down. I think they have a little bit more of a shot than Norwich, but I, I think they're down. The third spot is really tough, right? I'm going to say Burnley. Um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching them, and, and Veghorst was banging in goals, and I was like, this team can't go down. There's no way. And, and I have a lot of faith in Sean Dyche as well. Um, it's more of the fact that I think the other teams around them will stay up. Um, I would have probably said Leeds when they first hired Jesse Marsh. And then I, I know I mentioned that I, I talked or I watched them play Leicester and I was really impressed with them. They, they should have won that game. They had a couple of really good chances. They outplayed Leicester. I think they're going to be able to stay up. Um, I know Patrick Bamford's actually expected to play this weekend, probably off the bench. Or actually, uh, no, tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, I, he should be coming off the bench uh, tomorrow um, in the Thursday match. So, yeah, I think they're going to stay up. Everton could go down. They just got a, a few games in hand right now, and um, I think they're definitely more talented than the other teams in the, the battles. So I'm just going to bet on them figuring it out just enough to stay up. Yeah, wow. I think uh, so. I agree with your method of thinking. I think Norwich definitely down, which is a shame because I think if Dean Smith gets in that gets in there earlier, um, they actually do better. Since since Dean Smith's in, been in charge, they've been better than with Daniel Fucker. Um, yeah. Then Watford, I think, are definitely down as well. Um, combination of a lot of things. Watford are just a poorly run club. They'll go down, and then you've got uh, Burnley on twenty one points, Everton on twenty two points, Leeds on twenty three points. And then the same the games played, the Burnley 26 games played, Everton 25 games played, Leeds have 27 games played. And then just above them are Brentford and 27 points. I do think there is a world in which Brentford start to get sucked down to the relegation fight. Um, and originally on the preview pod, if you want to make fun of our preview pod, I did pick that the three promoted teams would go back down. So Brentford, Watford, Norwich. I do kind of want to pick that again just for the sake of continuity and not looking like a total pussy. But... Um, I am actually going to say I'm going to bet on the managers. And although Everton have a game in hand on Burnley and are one point ahead, I think Deitch is going to eke, eke out a couple results. Even though they only have three wins all season, they've won less games than any team in the league. I'm almost talking myself out of this. They've won less games than any team in the league. They will stay defensively solid. And they'll be resilient, and he will have control of that over that dressing room. I think Frank Lampard has never been in a relegation scrap before in his playing career and and in his managerial career. And I think that he goes down with Everton, and it will be nuts. Um, and Everton, so, that would be the first time they've ever been relegated. It'll be insane. I think Everton, Watford, Norwich go down. Uh, if that happens, what happens to Frank Lampard? Does he ever get another job? Uh, I know he'll get fired, and he'll be dead in the water. I think he might just go into the booth at that point. Um, he could probably get a job, you know, being a commentator or analyst somewhere. But actually, do you think he do you think he gets fired too if if he takes him down? Oh, for sure. I definitely think he's gone. Um, it's just a matter of wow. whether or not he could get another job or over time. I mean, that would be a, an okay performance with Derby, and then pretty bad with Chelsea with a ton of money spent and taking Everton down. I mean, they were going to go. They weren't going to go down before he got hired, right? Like they were in a really bad spot. But yeah, they lost. Like they lost four. Worse. 
Right, they've lost four out of their last five. I mean, it's just fascinating to see how it's going to play out. Like, it is, you know, it's going to be three teams, and I think that third spot, we can agree that Norwich and Norwich and Watford, that third spot is going to be really interesting. It might be the best relegation scrap we've seen in a while. There's obviously, yeah. like, you know, 10-plus matches left for some of these teams, so it's a little early to say that, but it does seem like there's five or six clubs that are going to be involved, and especially if Watford or Norwich can get a win here in the next, like, two matches, it's going to make things extremely interesting. Right, and then the fact that Burnley only have three wins all season and aren't guaranteed to go down so far out of 26 games is insane. They're solid defensively, as they always have been, and that's the thing. It pains me to to go against Sean Dyche. That's actually what I picked at the beginning of the season, though, if I recall, was I think Burnley, uh, Watford, and Norwich. Or maybe I kept one of them and had Newcastle. But regardless, I'm pretty sure I had Burnley going down, and it is tough because I think I have a lot of respect for Sean Dyche. Um, not necessarily the way they play, but he's done a good job with what he's had. So. Well, that'll move us into our NBC predictor picks. Chris, uh, we'll walk through the games here. You can fire first. It's Manchester United versus Spurs. Who you got? Um, I think Spurs keeps it rolling with those wingbacks. Uh, United have been so, so rough defensively as of late. Um, and I, I don't really see them turning it around here. They're going to leak in a few goals. I'm going to go 3-1 Spurs. Nice. Um, I'm also going to go for a Spurs win, um, especially with the Matt Daugherty just, you know, masterclass at right wing back. I'm going to go 2 1. Um, I like a Kulisevsky goal and a Daugherty goal. Okay. Um, what do you got for the next one? West Ham home to Villa. Yeah, the battle of the wannabe Claret and Blues and the Claret and Blues. Um, West Ham are in a tough spot right now. So Mikel Antonio was like an honorable mention for me for Sell. Like he's been brutal. Um, playing up top for West Ham, and I feel bad because he—I you know, feel bad for him because he has to play every single game. They have no help up top, um, but uh, I think Villa win this one two-one. I think they really, I think Villa found a little interesting way for uh, the trio of Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins, and Phil Coutinho to kind of coexist as a front three, which is a very interesting front three in that last, in the smashing of Southampton 4-0 last game. And I'd like to see that. I think they will continue that into this game away at West Ham. Yeah, I think that they will too. I mean, I I was extremely impressed with them. They do play Leeds um, on Thursday at the time of tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, obviously that could be just like a nice momentum boost for them, but they're also going to be a little bit shorter rest. Um, West Ham don't play tomorrow. The big thing is, I know Declan Rice missed their last match with an illness. I don't know if it was COVID or not. I'm assuming he's going to be back. Um, if he's not, then I would pick Villa. But based off the assumption that he is going to be playing, I'm going to go 1-1. Um, I think this could be a really good match. These are two teams that, um, I mean, West Ham have been good all year, but Villa are really starting to figure it out under Gerrard, it feels like. Um, this is definitely like appointment viewing for me. I'm very excited for it. Yep. And then next game, Chelsea-Newcastle. Um, old money versus new money. I'm going to go 1-1. Um, I'm just, like I said, I mean, Newcastle was my high team. I feel very good about the direction they're heading in. Uh, Chelsea have been good as of late. I think that um, Kai Havertz has started to pick up. Pulisic has started to get a little bit of momentum. Um, Reese James seems like he's hurt again, sounds like, which is a really, really big blow for them. I, I think he might be actually their most important player at this point. Um, so I'm going to go 1-1. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea over Newcastle. I think Newcastle fans are feeling good, and like you said, you you buy them, so I'm happy that you chose a draw here. But um, I think that this is one of those games where it's like, yeah, you're doing well. You're beating some of the teams between 10th and 20th. Chelsea, um, 
City and Liverpool are a completely different kettle of fish, and I think they'll really punish Newcastle 2 0. Fair. Um, next one, Arsenal Leicester. Let's see, we got the same result here. What do you got? Yeah, so we both got 2 0. Um, I've got Arsenal given the fact that they were my buy team. Um, I look for them to continue their goal scoring form. And then also, like, Leicester don't really look like much of a threat. It looks like Jamie Vardy's out for a couple weeks with an injury. I think he's, like, the only place that can source goals for them. Um, so I think it's 2 0 Arsenal. Maybe, like, a Saka and. Lacazette goal since Lacazette's been assisting. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I'm going to nil as well. Um, last one, we got Palace at home against Man City. I'm going to go one nil City. Uh, I'm impressed with Palace defensively. Um, Nathaniel Klein's been getting a run of games because Joel Ward's been hurt. He's been decent. But Mark Gay, man, whew, I know you mentioned him earlier um, as someone being better than McGuire. That guy is a stud. I think they're going to be able to, to hang with City for a bit. I do think City get the dub. Um, I'm going to go 1-0 in a close one. Yeah, so this is such an interesting fixture, the Palace versus Manchester City. I was there at uh, the Etihad a couple years ago when uh, Palace beat City 3-2. And Palace have had a bit of a number for City. So they beat City, I think it was at the Etihad earlier this year, 2-0, right? Yep. Um, And they have just, yeah, like Palace have had this weird kind of like, you know, they're this unicorn that can pop up and just, you know, kind of... uh, crush City every now and then. They outplayed City earlier this season. Laporte, uh, red card. I think it'll be a bit of a grudge match for Pep. And of course, like I, I would love to stay true to the you know Palace winning in this in this kind of pseudo-rivalry that's popped up, but I just think with City knowing the points are on the line to win the title, knowing that how knowing how Palace beat them last time, I think Pep will view this as a grudge match. And I think City get after it and they win 3-1. Alright, fair enough. Well, maybe I've about wraps it up. What else? Anything else on your end you want to add? No, that's it. I think uh, again, uh, it's been it's been good to get back. There's been a lot of Premier League interaction. The all seeing eye, the Premier League, it just goes to show. So it's good to hash out some of our takes. Um, everything from you know Matt Doherty being the, the best signing right wing back. That one's going to stick for a few days. Yeah, uh, that one's going to stick with me. I got to stand by that. I'm going to put that in my Twitter bio. Um, <laughs> But uh, but no, it's been good, it's been good to get back good be- get to back get back with you here, Chris, and uh, chat through uh, Jessica's show content, and I uh, yeah. you know, hope we can get these out a little bit more frequently in the future. Me too. Yeah, hopefully we'll be a little more consistent. We've been pretty busy as of late, um, but as we get through the home stretch here this season, hopefully we can get into a little bit more of a regular rhythm here. But uh, Jack, always great chatting with you. Hopefully everyone enjoys, and you know, continue to send us feedback, tweet at us, pick our brains, give us topics. Um, you know, we're happy to try to integrate some stuff. Uh, that we hear from other people. I know, um, you know we've got a couple of friends that do a good job of that already, but we'd love to hear hear from everybody. So um, with that being said, Jack. Just, yeah, just goes to show. Everyone's human. Thanks, guys.